Hey, it's David, and welcome back to the Tone Bass Classical Guitar Podcast. It's pretty wild to me to think that we're already on season four of the show. This is episode 26. It's really been such a pleasure and humbling experience to be able to meet and interview all these amazing artists. So thank you to everyone who's been involved, and thank you to everyone for tuning in and making this possible. If you're still not a member at Tone Base, head on over to ToneBase.co and use the promo code PODCAST-3 for $15 off of your subscription. Today's guest is the Scottish guitarist Ian Watt. He's a lecturer at the Royal Conservatory of Scotland, a phenomenal player, and has placed in several highly esteemed guitar competitions, including the Parkening and the Vienna International Guitar Competitions. Had a great conversation the other week talking about his philosophies on teaching, repertoire choice, and also his work with the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra. Let's go ahead and jump into a listening sample. This is a gnarly piece, the fourth movement of Antonio Jose's Guitar Sonata. Thank you. 
first time I heard of you, I was actually uh, involved with the youth competition for the uh, parking competition oh. out of Malibu. And yeah. you made a pretty uh, big performance out there, placing second at the age of 18. Was yes, that your yes. first kind of big competition breakthrough? It, it, it was. It was, the, it was the first guitar competition or international guitar competition uh, I, I entered. Really? So uh, wow! So it was. Uh, That's a big one to uh, enter. It was a very surpri surprising result for me. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there were lots of good, really good players there, and uh, I think I had a good semi-final, and uh, I didn't have a very good final. Oh. So 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 I was so I was uh, I mean delighted to get even second really. So, yeah yeah. But, uh, yes, well I did. I mean I played the Rodrigo Aranjuez for the final. We had to. We all had to learn a concerto. Or, or perform a concerto, and I, I had done it before, uh, which maybe made me a tad complacent, and I was focusing very much on the semi-final repertoire, R really thinking I wouldn't get beyond it. So I think that was probably what was in the back of my mind. So I thought, uh, have a good you know, semi-final uh, uh, performance and uh, make a good impression, and I'll be happy. And uh, we had to prepare the uh, sonata of Castel Nuovo Tedesco. Okay, yeah. Um, which was a great joy. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece. I still love it. And uh, I think the rest of it was, in the semi-final, was free choice. We had set works, very specific set works in the, in, in, in the first round. I think the Rodrigo Fandango from Twitch Piazzas. And uh, there was Granados, La Maja de Goya, and the Bach, uh, the fugue from the first violin sonata. Quite a program so, all over the place. So yeah, so yeah but it was a good program and, and all, all music I love. So it was a great experience. And I met a lot of people there for the first time uh, whom you know, I've managed to you know, stay, not quite stay in touch with, but uh, who've you know, remained acquaintances. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience. Was that your first time performing in the States? Yes, I think, I think it was. I think it was my first time visiting the States. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... In Malibu's absolutely gorgeous. Yes, right. Yeah, because they, I think they still host the competition at Pepperdine. Yes, which is right along the hills, looking out onto the coast. It's, it's a, a very beautiful setting. Yeah, and uh, I was ex I was particularly taken um, uh, with the beauty of the Pacific, which is quite different. Uh, yeah, obviously, from uh, what what I'm used to. It's a very particular. Uh, color. Yeah, yeah. And after the parking competition, you went on uh, to win several other competitions. And uh, I guess my question is, what's your approach in regards to your programming and also um, maybe uh, your choices of repertoire? And maybe how does that differ 
um, from a regular performance? Well, I think in competitions, my approach really was always to uh, try and show myself uh, uh, you know, in, in, in repertoire that I would regard as, 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 uh, as you know, well-suited. You know, I think it's good for people to show their strengths. And I think there is a distinction between the repertoire that we should study as guitarists. Um, I think there is now a standard repertoire that we can, we can point to and uh, which we should all have uh, a familiarity with. But that does not necessarily mean you have to go and play that repertoire in concert or in or certainly in competitions. And I think in competitions particularly, it's good to play music that you have performed a few times in concert. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I think pieces are a bit like shoes, and that uh, even when the piece, you've learned it, everything is organized and it's in your fingers, it feels new yeah. for a while. You know, it takes a little bit of performing to really wear it in. Kind of break um, it in, yeah. And uh, so that, that's I tend to suggest that to people, and that's the, the approach I would have. And certainly, I, when giving concerts, uh, it, I'm, I'm always more comfortable with the pieces I've played before. Yeah, um, I think everybody's the same. But the good thing about the parkening was that we had to learn quite a. You know, I mean, if we didn't have, I didn't have the Castel Bovo Tedesco Sonata in my repertoire before then, so I had to learn it. And uh, so that, that certainly, you know, you can't, you can't. You can't only play repertoire that you that you, yeah. that you that you already know. But then, of course, there's a set piece for GFA where you have just a month to prepare it. Yeah, but I totally agree with you. I mean, um, the the competitions I did were of a much much smaller scale, um, but I was never successful playing or performing a piece for the first time in the competition setting. It really would take for me four or five, maybe even six times of performances to yes. really feel comfortable enough with it. Yes, yeah. I I think I think many people are, are in 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 the same boat. I mean, the good thing about the GFA set piece is that everyone is in is in the same boat. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, whereas if you have a set piece which is uh, of the standard repertoire, well, some people will have played it maybe fifty times before. Yeah. Others will be learning it. But of course, it, that does come back to the importance of studying the standard repertoire. Uh, particularly undergraduate guitarists, I think, mm-hmm. should uh, should should really focus on 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 becoming familiar with the standard repertoire, and uh, I mean try and you know try and learn as much of it as possible. Then it sets them up for later. Then yeah, if they do yeah. have to, if they are asked to play a piece or they enter a competition in which there is a set piece from the standard repertoire, um, there's a there's a much higher chance they will know it. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, I think there is a mistake in trying to find your artistic voice uh, too early. I certainly made that mistake when I was doing competitions uh, you know, at that time, the parkening, and, and a couple of years later. Um, and uh, I think really an artistic voice, it, it, has, it, it develops at its own pace, in a way. <clears throat> it, you, you can't really manufacture it. And uh, there is a danger for especially undergraduate students in uh, trying to say, well, this is the repertoire I'm going to focus on. You know, this, is, this repertoire is different from what others have been doing. Uh, so I'm going to do it and be unique. And 
in a sense, I think that you, many people will attain a far greater degree of uniqueness if they actually go through that standard repertoire yeah. training. And, uh, and then, of course, they'll learn more from their teachers because they'll be studying repertoire the teachers know. And then, of course, they can apply what they've learned uh, to rare works yeah. or, 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 or new works. And gradually their artistic voice will, 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 will develop and uh, something beautiful but authentic will emerge, not uh, manufactured. Uh, a manufactured artistic voice is really just stolen from other people or taken from other people or absorbed from other people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and you'll have maybe a bit of Julian Bream there and a bit of Segovia there and a bit of Manuel Barueco there or maybe a bit of this pianist yeah. you know, or this violinist there, certain approaches. But of course it hasn't... You, you can't just copy that. That all of that is has to be absorbed, uh, you know, very deeply. Yeah. And and then of course something will emerge. It really does take time. Yeah, it does to develop. And I never really thought of it that way. How important it is to start with more traditional repertoire and really embrace it and let it solidify uh, within uh, your own personal uh, literature that you've studied mm -hmm. and. Um, when I think about it, not to uh, go back to me, but when I was younger, pre-college, I definitely got way too excited, which an excitement's a fantastic thing and passion yeah, in music. You don't want to scare that away. Oh, but no, I was, and I didn't mean... No, 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 it, totally not. I, I didn't all, take yeah. it that way. But I definitely jumped into pieces, first of all, that are a bit technically too challenging yeah, for me well. at the time. But also, I just it really was impossible for me to musically make a statement or, or properly analyze or conceptualize the piece. You know, I just really did not have the musical knowledge, even if I was able to get through the piece. Yeah, well, I mean, I made the same mistake uh, or the same mistakes. And uh, I remember a very uh, good piece of advice I received. And I was quite young at the time. I think I was 15 and I, and I went to my first guitar festival. Mm -hmm. as a participant not my it wasn't my first uh, that's not true actually i'd been to get i'd been to uh there used to be a very good guitar festival organized by alan neve uh, i mean there still is at the conservatoire the big guitar weekend but before that he used to organize one in the city of dundee right at the dundee guitar festival and it was really an, a, an excellent event i mean the, the the artists who were invited were the best and uh it was a magnificent thing. So I had been to that. But the first time I went abroad to a guitar festival, it was one of the German ones, and I played in a master class to Desiderio, Agnello Desiderio, I mean, incredible Italian virtuoso. And I played a piece by Brauer, I think at the time, Elogio della Danza. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, <clears throat> and I was playing it. I was playing it fairly well. Uh, I, I had played it in concert a few times. I think it was technically secure and uh, and he didn't really see that i mean he said a few things of course but he was very interested in my development it's something which i look back on and 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 appreciate that he took that interest he'd never met me before uh, i don't think he's met me since but he but this student you know he didn't know he took an interest in in and he asked what i was planning to work on next and i said the Walton Bagatelles, mm -hmm. which I mean, I loved them. And of course, that is a piece of standard repertoire, but it was too difficult for me at the time. Uh, and uh, Desiderio said, well, I think you, you 
you could do that. But if you want my advice, you should play lots of Giuliani. Hmm. And at the time, it was such I was it was such a disappointing thing to hear. It wasn't what I wanted to hear yeah, at the age yeah. of fifteen. You know, I wanted him to say, "Yeah, go and play the Walton Bagatelles." And of course, you know, being uh, a sort of you know cocky and proud fifteen-year-old, I ignored him and learned the Bagatelles. And now looking back, I can I see the wisdom in what he said. Yeah, you know, Giuliani's so good for the formation of the hands, um, and so good for uh, being able to. You know, learn standard phrasing, you know, classical era phrasing. Um, and, you know, so many bases are covered, actually, by Giuliani. It's a, it was a wonderful piece of advice. Yeah. So I wish I'd taken it, but, of course, I try and, and uh, pass on that advice to, to others. And, and, uh, but if these things, are very, they're very hard to take at the time. Yeah, and you yeah. look back and, of course, you realise you could have done things done things a bit differently and and and, uh, and and possibly better yeah but that's the nature of life isn't it so later uh, we're going to be taking a listen uh to a sample from your cd invocacion and i just love the programming aspect behind it you played the invocacion y danza the rodrigo which is one of my favorite pieces and it's a homage to defia right yes and then you also played the defia yes homenaje but it's a it's really Great concept to have both of those in the same program. I don't think I've actually ever heard that in a concert uh, before, which is really too bad. Do you uh, pair those two pieces together frequently? Uh, I don't, actually. And and uh, the, I haven't played the Rodrigo for a number of years. I have occasionally played the Faya, but uh, um, but I, I think they do go uh, very well together uh, for, you know, I, I suppose for, for obvious reasons and that... Uh, Rodrigo is paying uh, homage to uh, to Faya, and uh, of course, much more. It, the material is much more. Uh, there's much more material, I think, from El Amo Brujo, uh, the, the the ballet. But 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 they still work well. And uh, but of course, when I recorded those pieces, I was far too young to record those pieces. And uh, I, th- I I dare say, if I listened to it now, I would I would cringe. All the way You'll through. have to turn off uh, so, the so. <laughs> uh, Spotify or iTunes <laughs> yes. before the end of the episode. <laughs> well, I listened to it right before this interview, and it's beautiful playing. And um, the Rodrigo is one of my favorite pieces of our repertoire, and it's, it's just a great piece. such a haunting and um, slightly impressionistic and everything you, you could want in a piece it of is. the literature. It is, and it's, I think it's one of his finest guitar pieces. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, and it's an interesting thing, actually. So many m- of the masterpieces in the guitar repertoire are, in fact, uh, uh, either uh, you know, pieces which pay homage to another composer or which uh, you know, take material from another composer, such yeah. as uh, you know, uh, maybe a, a theme. You know, I'm thinking really of the of the famous Saw Mozart variations mm-hmm. and. Uh, but I don't really know uh, which conclusion to draw from that, but it seems an interesting... I guess it's uh, impossible for any composers to almost live in a vacuum without taking any influence uh, yes. from other music. There, You always hear, whether it be quotes or just styles of phrasing, you're always going to hear some sort of influence. Yeah, but uh, but in, in those pieces, of course, it's very, very conscious. And, yeah. uh, and it's interesting that they are... You know, amongst the, the the best pieces, 
the yeah. most well-known pieces in the repertoire. Um, and I uh, slightly unrelated, but I just love that Beethoven uh, composed one of his uh, pivotal piano works, right? Keyboard works, uh, the variations off of the theme of Diabelli. Oh, yes, of course. And, yeah, And of course... <laughs> Nobody in the piano world knows who Diabelli is, <laughs> and maybe not that many guitarists yeah. know. If you don't know, check out Diabelli. Beautiful. Yeah, uh, of course. Classical of course. He, yeah, his, yeah. Uh, his sonatas are, are beautiful. But I think he was known uh, primarily as a publisher yeah, yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah in that yeah. era, it seemed like quite a few composers were dedicated publishers as well. Yes. I mean, one interesting development in music, and I think on the whole, it's a negative one, but that's maybe just my you know, character, um, which is that we, we, we tend to specialize these days, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very much, I think much more so than, 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 than in the past. I remember that uh, when Julian Bream uh, auditioned for the Royal College of Music, and he was only about 14 or something. Wow. Um, and, uh, and one of the things he was asked to do was, uh, improvise something, start in the key, I don't know what the keys were, but I mean, start in the key of C, you know, modulate through, you know, sort of A flat and end in F or something. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm making it up, but, but uh, he, he, was at, he was asked to do that and, ex- and it was expected that he would be able to do it. Wow. You know, it wasn't Can't imagine the, putting any other classical <laughs> guitars nowadays in the audition yeah. having to do that. And in, in Glasgow in the 90s, I mean, obviously, you know, I didn't... You know, experience this, and 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 uh, and I should say before I tell the story that organists are, by and large, extremely good, uh, uh, you know, imp- imp- improvisers. But uh, in a, a, a retired lecturer from the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland told me that in the nineteen forties and fifties they used to invite the great uh, cathedral organists of, of 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 Britain to give recitals at Kelvin Grove. Uh, oh, okay. Art gallery and museum. There's a magnificent instrument there, and the the encore would be that uh, they would hand the organist an unseen fugue subject, and he would go and on the spot produce a fugue. Wow! On that on that on that subject. That's amazing. Yeah. And and uh, and and of course, in the old days, people would play far more instruments. I, if I, to use Julian Bream as, as an example again, he studied cello and piano. At the Royal College oh, of Music, not guitar, oh. and 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 of course, piano was always uh, uh, considered a an almost necessary thing for musicians to have. So I think there was a sort of wider uh, 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 you know, approach to, to to music. People probably special didn't specialize quite as early as they do now. And so in in the, in the past, it was quite common even for for musicians to have other jobs. Non-musical yeah. jobs. Bach, of course, is the famous example. Uh, I mean, I think he was essentially a schoolmaster, and music was very far down on the list of his of his duties. He 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 taught boys, and he was I think he was probably the Latin master. I think he's probably the he was probably the teacher of of most subjects. But uh, you know, and uh, I, I believe uh, earlier Italian sort of early late Renaissance early early Baroque composer Caccini. I believe he was a gardener. <laughs> as really? well as being a, huh. a, a composer of operas and in, in some ways uh, one of the fathers of the whole Baroque movement in yeah, music. Yeah. But, but it's so, amazing so, to yeah. think of the scope of their repertoire Yes, while they were full-time 
workers in other professions and how much bigger that repertoire potentially may have been if yeah, they were it's amazing. dedicated only to music. It's amazing to study whenever we study the, these great, great people of the past. Uh, the thing that always strikes me, at least, is how much they did in their often very short lives. Yeah. And uh, with no computers, with no... You know, everything done by hand. Uh, with, Just uh, with quill and ink. ink. Yeah, yeah, and by candlelight because they were, and they were much more beholden to, to, to you know, the amount of daylight. Uh, Makes everything know. seem way too easy for us musicians today and composers. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> oh, I'm asked with a certain amount of uh, regularity. For to, the BBC. To, 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 to play with the, the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra as a, as, as, as a, a freelance orchestral musician. So not, not playing concertos, but, but, but uh, participating in performances of orchestral rep- repertoire, which uh, involves guitar, such as uh, Plea C'est on Plea by uh, Pierre Boulez. And uh, which is at the much more difficult end of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and at the much uh, uh, simpler end of things, at least, uh, well, as far as the guitarist is concerned, not as far as anyone else's, uh, Mahler Symphony Number no. 7. Mm. Uh, and of course, some, 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 some other works. And uh, so I've been extremely privileged to, 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 to take part in some of those performances. It remind me, the Mahler, is that actually on mandolin for the... It's there's a guitar part and a mandolin part, and okay. they, they both play at the same time. So you need two people. Gotcha. Yeah. You're on guitar then. I was on I was on guitar, but I did once have to play mandolin uh, for a, a, a symphony by uh, Oliver Nussin, uh, and stupidly didn't look at my part until about three days before the first rehearsal. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. And not having played the mandolin before. Uh, I did get something of a shock, and I had to immediately, uh, well, find out about it and uh, make sure that it was indeed me (laughs) that would have to play it. And uh, once uh, that had been answered, unfortunately, in the affirmative, I then uh, proceeded to retune a guitar to a mandolin, but so an octave tuned lower, to okay. <laughs> and uh, learned, learned where to put my fingers and then managed to get hold of a mandolin, uh, maybe, you know, I think later that day. And so I had a maybe a day and a half or something to practice on the mandolin and, of course, learn the guitar part for the piece, uh, which was uh, a fairly atonal, if I remember correctly. And, uh, you know, so I turned up with... Uh, a mandolin and a guitar and played mandolin with the BBC Scottish Symphony <laughs> Orchestra broadcast on, you know, at some point on BBC Radio 3, I should think. After a day uh, and a half of learning the instrument. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a day and a half of, of stress. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That must have uh, been pretty difficult, even if it's same tuning or relative tuning, going between the guitar and the mandolin. Well, no, like I, I, yeah, I, I, I played in mandolin tuning. Uh, what I did t- to prepare before I got my hands on a mandolin was uh, was uh, tune the guitar to basically to a violin. I tuned. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, 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 but an octave lower. Uh, the mandolin is at the same pitch as a violin, the, but the guitar obviously the strings would break if we if we put the E string up. Uh, an octave uh, so I tuned it to a mandolin an octave lower and so I learned the the the, the shapes yeah I yeah. learned where I'd have to put my fingers but then of course the mandolin frets are much closer together so yeah which suits my small hands actually. oh okay but, so that might have worked out but, uh, but it, it was good fun and a good experience yeah yeah and, uh, yeah for me uh, you know I pretty much 
only play guitar and dabble with a couple other instruments. And if someone hands me a banjo or, or electric bass, you know, I'm able to mess around with it. But there's something about the mandolin. I think it's just the spacing. And it's a very unforgiving instrument. I mean, we can say the guitar is an unforgiving instrument, but there's it, just a little more finesse to it. So <laughs> props yeah. to you for uh, well, pulling it off after a couple of days. Well, I mean, I don't know if I, I mean, I suppose someone could find the archive recording and, and judge for themselves. We'll play it at the end of this episode, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, another bit of work I've been very fortunate to to, uh, to, to, to get has been work with uh, Scottish Opera. Uh, mm. it's like Scotland's uh, main uh, opera company. And they put on small-scale uh, productions uh, both as uh, both through the education department and and uh, out with it and uh, in the education department they put on uh, shortened operas of they, they condense it to, to about you know, 25 minutes of well they make a, sh- a 25 minute show of it there's usually a narrator maybe a couple of singers and a couple of instruments and for the more classical operas uh, say you know Mozart um, and uh, Rossini and uh, Gilbert and Sullivan at the slightly lighter end of things, uh, they'll they'll they often use guitar. It's a very mm. excellent uh, the, the the musical director there is a very you know really an amazing musician and uh, and 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 his arrangements are ingenious and he uses the guitar extremely well. And uh, I also took part in a small scale production. We did the whole opera. But uh, they, um, they, I think they've stopped this now. But at one time they used to go around Scotland um, to places that the full orchestra couldn't get to. But they would do the full opera. And for many years, I think they just used piano yeah. for the orchestral part. But this year they had uh, uh, the Elixir of Love by Donizetti. And uh, he arranged it for five instruments, a string trio, French horn and guitar. And so I got to tour uh, uh, around Scotland with a professional opera company, essentially being the harmony. Yeah, yeah. For a whole opera. Oh, it must have been an amazing and, experience. Uh, and and I've learned so much from from working with them, getting to work you know, with singers and work with such a fine musician as 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 as, as, as that man, uh, and then having to work with actors. Because I made great friends doing that as well. But it's given given me a very different, uh, you know, or it's given me a very unique. Uh, uh, experience, yeah. uh, which of course uh, I, you know, I try and put into solo playing. Yeah, it's a repertoire opera and orchestral repertoire that so few guitarists have the pleasure uh, to perform. And of course, there are uh, some composers who also wrote solo uh, works uh, for the guitar, but to be able to play works uh, by some of the great composers that such as Mahler that we just never get in our repertoire. It's just amazing. I used to play double bass growing up and I got to uh, play in a pretty good youth orchestra in in the town I grew up in. And for me, uh, we played some Mahler being able to play Beethoven symphonies and everything. I was able to get away with it because it's easier to get in an orchestra as a bassist than a violinist. I'm sure you (laughs) you were perfectly good. uh, That's stretching it. But it's just... An amazing repertoire and the power of the orchestra. I, I think it's, if it's right to call it an instrument, I think it's just one of uh, the most meaningful instruments out there. And the textures. <clears throat> yes, 
Absolutely. And it, of course, is the distinctive thing about the guitar is that we can, on a very small scale, imitate it perhaps mm -hmm. uh, better than any other instrument. Yeah. It's our... You could almost say it's our one quality, but that's that's a bit unfair. I mean, I wouldn't quite go that far, but it's the, you know, there are many things the guitar lacks. It lacks sustain, it lacks volume, even with uh, more modern loud guitars. I mean, they don't compare to a piano. They, they don't come close in terms of the the volume that they can produce. And But yet we do have this incredible array of tonal colours. Yeah. Um, and articulation which can which uh, can be put to very good use and i think there is a tendency now for people you know the guitar level of guitar playing's got so high that a lot of people uh, of course can play in a very legato way very impressively but but uh, we can't play everything legato you know mm -hmm. in actual fact we do have a lot of uh, possibilities in you know in, in, in articulation uh, you know as as well as as tonal color and i suppose for me to get to play with uh, you know, to, to take part in these small-scale productions where, you know, I, I was uh, in the smaller shows really one half of the orchestra, often with a cello, just guitar and cello. In in the full opera, I was one of five, but of course very harmonic. And my role was very harmonic. And of course, so I had to, you know, I had, I had the chance really, to, you know, I, I had to be the orchestra in, yeah. a, in a sense. And... Um, and so it's a, it's a great experience, but uh, the guitar as a miniature orchestra, I think, is one of the most important uh, you know, concepts to to learn. Um, and uh, it really, as an instrument, is quite unique uh, in its uh, in its beauty when when pursued in, 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 in to that end. Absolutely. Thank you, Ian, for being on the show. Please join me in two weeks for a conversation with Brian Head. We'll leave things today uh, with another Spanish recording. This is Rodrigo's infamous Evocacion y Danza. I'm David Steinhardt, and we'll see you next time for the Tone Bass Classical Guitar Podcast.